0: This morning, we're doing uh, Identity, and this is part of our series on Exponential, um, discovering God's economy. But I want to start off today with a, a, fun, a fun fact. Do, does anybody know in, in which city are the operational headquarters for the Bank of Montreal? That's right. Toronto it's, it's strange, right you'd think it'd be in Montreal but it's actually in Toronto, and that's it's due to according to Wikipedia due to political instability in nineteen seventy seven and um, if you're a student here, if you're just sort of passing through this might seem like some dull old history, but this actually really impacts you so during the 1970s there was a, a, a quite a bit of instability of political instability um, and there was an election in, in uh, late nineteen seventy six that elected someone named uh, Rene du. Uh, Lev- René Levesque. Um, And he is behind what is known as Bill 101, the Charter of the French Language. And that charter, that essentially, that became kind of a litmus. test. That sort of defines us. It became to define us as, as a culture. And who we are as Quebecers in relation to the rest of Canada. And for English speakers, anglophones like myself... I grew up in the the suburbs of Montreal. I wasn't around in the 70s during this first time, but there was a second time, a second referendum that took place in 1995. And I can remember my dad, you know, late into the night, listening to the radio, to the news, trying to see what was going to happen that day. What were the results of the election going to be? And as it turned out, by half a percent, Quebec chose to stay within Canada. And my point here isn't to, um, to draw attention to the political realities that are here. My point is to say um, that as, as Quebecers, we have faced a sort of identity crisis. What, is, what does it mean to be a Quebecer? And thinking of my family specifically, what it means to be an Anglophone, an English-speaking Quebecer in a French, now officially French, province? And these questions of identity, these, these questions follow us today. I want to say they're, they're good questions and they're important questions because We're passionate about them. Questions of identity, they they define us. They're they're crucial for understanding how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to the world around us. And so, if you think about it, we're, we're moving into this series exponential right? And in order, uh, the ways in which we relate to the world, we we relate to the world by giving and receiving. And we give and receive out of the identity that we are. And so we're going to be looking how we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure. But before we do that, I need to set a base. I need to to point us to the basis out of which we give. And that is our identity, who we are in Christ. And so when I say identity, what do I mean um, by identity? Identity. What is this concept of identity that we so often talk about? Well, identity, it's the answer to the question: Who am I? Who am I? And so when I say identity, I, I want to sort of break it down into two concepts that can be helpful. The first component of it would be your sense of self. And that's that, that's that sense of you that remains consistent despite the changing places, despite the changing circumstances in your life. It's that sort of thread that weaves through you, weaves your life together. So it's your sense of self. But it's also, it could be defined as your sense of self-worth. It's that assessment of your own value, your, your self-regard. What makes you feel your life is good or worthwhile or significant? And so identity is these two components together, your sense of self and your sense of self worth. And so if I was to give you an example of being in Quebec, right, as, as a Quebecer, um, despite moving from place to place, I still consider myself a Quebecer. That's my sense of self. And then I, I love the Belle Province. I think it's a beautiful and a unique place to live. And so that, there's a sense of self-worth attached to that. And so together, the sense of self and the self-worth together, they form my identity as a Quebecer. Now let's say... Someone comes along and says, Jordan, to be a true Quebecer, you have to speak native French. Now, what happens there? If I have set my identity, right, if I've built my sense of self and self-worth on being a Quebecer, then suddenly that calls it into question. And it becomes what we call an identity crisis. And so I want to look at someone else, someone else from the Bible who has an identity crisis. And his name was Moses. And he lived thousands of years ago. Um, and what you need to know is that Moses lived at a time when Egypt is governed by the pharaohs. But Moses wasn't Egyptian. He was Hebrew. And he was, he was from a people group that was ethnically and religiously distinct from the Egyptians. And they were living alongside each other in the same space. And what Unfortunately, what usually happens, we see it in history, but we also see it today, is that there were tensions arose. And the, the native population began to oppress the migrant, the Hebrew population that was living among them, and they began to enslave them. And so, um, at the point that Moses is born, the Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, has decided to take a sort of population control measure. And so he's decided to kill all the young Hebrew boys. And so Moses is born into this world in which uh, his life is at risk. So his mother places him, makes a basket, places him in the basket. She doesn't want to kill him, and she sets him adrift in the river. And in a startling turn of events, uh, the daughter of the pharaoh is bathing in the river, and she, she comes across this basket, and she actually takes the child, and she adopts it as her own. And so Moses, this Hebrew boy, is raised in an Egyptian family. And when he gets older, he has this sort of, this coming of age moment. And he goes out, he's, he's going out, he's, I don't know, surveying the land. He goes out to see the people and he's in the field and he sees an Egyptian slave beating a Hebrew. And that's where we're going to kind of dive into our, our text today. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out, to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So we remember Moses, he's raised as an Egyptian, but he identifies as a Hebrew. And so he looks at his people, the Hebrew people, his people, they're being beaten, they're being enslaved. And he identifies with their suffering, right? So what does he do? He looked this way and he looked that and he struck the Egyptian down and he buries him in the sand, so, Moses here, he decides to take matters into his own hands. He sees himself as the one who can carry out justice for God's people. And he strikes the Egyptian and he kills him. And I just want to note that while well, the text records this, this incident, in no way does it con- commend it. And the story continues. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. So we saw Moses trying to carry out justice here for the Hebrew people. And then there's a Hebrew who's rejecting his carrying out of justice. saying, Who are you to judge me? And so to the Hebrew, Moses is acting like an Egyptian. He's no different Then there are oppressors. He was raised by them, after all, and he isn't a slave like the rest of us. He's not really one of us. And then what happens after Pharaoh finds out that Moses has killed the Egyptian, Moses has to run, he has to go to the desert. And so you see Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, Moses might have been raised as a prince, but he's still ethnically a Hebrew. And so again, he's not really one of us. And so Moses here, he then faces this identity crisis. He doesn't fit in as an Egyptian, the culture he's raised in, and he doesn't fit in as a Hebrew, the culture that he's ethnically a part of. And so maybe you can relate. Maybe you're Canadian, and maybe when people meet you, they look at you and say, where where are you really really from? Or you did all the classes, all the schooling to be a professional engineer, a paramedic, and then you went to write the exam, And you failed. And you see, if that was a core part of your identity, it's at these moments that you feel like a deep loss of stability, a sense of loss of value, of identity. And see, Moses, he didn't know who he was. And many of us modern Westerners, we also struggle with this same question. Who am I? Who am I? And I want to briefly show that like Moses, our society has an identity problem. We're not sure how to answer this question, who am I? And so I want to look at two different approaches that our society has to offer to this question. And I want to show how they actually contrast, but they actually contradict with each other. And a great way to do that is to do what Sandra encouraged me to do last week. And she said, Jordan, let's watch the film Moana. Now, I had no idea, but if you want to learn about existential questions like identity, watch a Disney film. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so what we're going to see is these two different approaches. And the first approach is the traditional approach to define identity is to look outward. Okay? And so your role in the community defines who you are. Your duty is defined and you are your duties. You don't just sit around and ask that question, who am I? No, the answer has been there since the beginning. You are your culture. You are your language. You are your people. You are your assigned duties. And apart from the community, you have no identity. But within it, you know exactly who you are. Your value comes from taking that role and bestowing honor, as opposed to shame, on the community. And as... Actually, this was probably the case for many of your grandparents or great-grandparents. And if you're moved here from a non-Western culture, this could be the case for you or your parents. And this is also the case for Moana. She's born into a chieftain's family on an island, and it's her role, it's her duty to take over as chiefess. But there's a struggle. And of course, this is Disney, so if you want to understand the struggle, you've got to listen to the lyrics. (laughs) Here we go. I know... I lost a line. I know everybody on this island has a role on this island, so maybe I can roll with mine. I can lead with pride. I can make us strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along. So everybody on the island has this role, and there's like a stability. There's a value associated with that, but I want to say it's also restrictive, right? And in a traditional culture, if you don't accept your role, the group, it, it shuts you out, and you lose your stability, your identity in the group, you're left insecure. Or, let's say you accept your role, but you're not able to live up to your role. Instead of bringing honor, then, you bring shame. And you lose, your, again, your sense of value, your identity in the group, you're left insignificant. And this loss of security, this loss of significance to your identity can be devastating. And so the modern Western culture that we live in has seen this, and has begun to react against it. And it said this approach is too restrictive, it's too confining. And so while the traditional approach looks outward to find their identity, the modern approach looks inside. And it says, instead of your duties, you are your dreams, you are your desires. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Sounds familiar, right? Let's look again at Moana. You may hear a voice inside, and if the voice starts to whisper, to follow the furthest star, Moana, that voice inside you is who you are. This is what we're told, right? The voice inside us is who we are. No one can assign you identity, not your family, not your community. You have to look inside yourself, find your deepest desires, and then express them, achieve them, discover your authentic self, live it, and be free. Now you can see the advantage of the modern approach. But I want to tell you the modern approach here is every bit as devastating as the traditional approach. Well, why? Because while the traditional approach was restrictive, the modern approach is burdensome. See, the benefit of the traditional approach is your identity was assigned to you. You didn't have to de- discover it. But in the modern society, the, burdening, the burden of determining who you are rests squarely on your shoulders. You have to look inside yourself, find your desires, and achieve them. And you better succeed, because if you don't, the only one to blame is you. And so whatever you decide, whatever you set your identity on, it will ultimately enslave you. And you will spend the rest of your life trying to serve that identity. Think about it. If you've defined yourself by your career, you can't merely succeed you must succeed. Because if you lose your job, you lose you. (laughs) If you've defined yourself by your relationship, you won't be able to handle conflict or honest criticism from the other because you'll live in fear of losing them. A couple of years ago, Madonna was interviewed in Vogue magazine, and I think she says it a lot more honestly uh, than a lot of us. And she said this, My drive in life is from the fear of being mediocre. It's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it to discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel like I'm still mediocre and uninteresting until I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. The struggle goes on and probably always will. Do you hear what she's saying? That even with her achievements, she still has to prove. She still feels like she has to prove that she's somebody. And I share this quote because I think this is an experience that many of us can understand well, that you've got to be hip. You've got to be cool. You've got to get the likes. You've got to be brilliant. You've got to be beautiful, and you've got to maintain it. How much longer can you go? It can't last because our value has been tied to our ability to achieve, it's insecure and it's a burden. And so we have a problem, don't we? If I look inside myself to find my identity, it's a burden. If I look outside myself, it's restrictive. So how then can we know who we are? How then do we answer this question, who am I? And I wanna suggest a third way and that's gonna be going back to the life of Moses. And so after killing that Egyptian, Moses has fled into the desert. He starts living as a shepherd. And he looks over one day and he sees a bush in flames, but it's not burning up. So he goes over to have a look. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush? Not burned, and when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see. Moses called to him out of the bush, "Moses, Moses!" And he said, "Here am I." So Moses is called over, and he takes off his shoes. He listens to the voice of God, and God says, "I'm going to deliver my people, the Hebrews, out of slavery." <clears throat> and God said, "Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression to which the Egyptians oppress them. Come." I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Did you catch that? Oh, I haven't said it yet. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? So this is what I want you to catch. (laughs) It's the who am I, right? Right? his whole identity as a Hebrew has been called into question, right? He's been rejected by both his people and the Egyptians. And now he's called to go speak to the Egyptians on behalf of his people. And so out of this, he questions, who am I? Who am I that I'm qualified for this role? And so this dialogue between him and God continues and he raises several more objections. And so I brought these objections together. So we saw the who am I, but we'll also see, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to me. And we'll also see Moses says to the Lord, there's a back and forth going on. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, but I'm slow to speech and tongue. Please send someone else. Ouch. Ouch to God. And I I actually literally said this out loud. I said, I can't imagine saying this to God. And then I heard Sandra behind me say, are you you sure? (laughs) And I thought, you know what? (laughs) This is me. This is me. This is, this is what Moses is saying. You know, I don't fit in. They won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent, right? And what is he doing when he's doing? This is exactly what I do. When I say, I do an assessment of you know, my backgrounds, my skills, and I say, who am I? Who am I to be a, like, a pastor? Who am I to speak? Who am I to do this? I can't talk to my coworkers. I don't know all the answers. I can't cook for them. I don't know how to cook. Who am I, Right? And what is Moses doing when he does this? He's putting his identity in his ability. He doesn't have the creds, right, before the Egyptians. He doesn't have the creds anymore before the Hebrews. Moses is finding himself insecure and insignificant. And we see now he is just as stuck as the traditionalist or the modernist in his identity. And so what is God's answer? And God says to him, but I will be with you. And you see, God doesn't call us to go serve him without first calling us to himself. God doesn't call us to serve him without first calling us to himself because we can't do it without him. But Moses has more questions. Moses said to God, suppose if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Moses earlier, he had asked, who am I, that I, right? And God answers, the point is that I am with you. You see, to Moses's who am I, God responds, I am. To Moses' inability, God is assuring his complete ability. The issue was not who Moses was, but who God Is. And listen, this is utterly profound. Traditional identity says your identity comes from outside. You are your duties. Modern identity says your identity comes from inside. You are your dreams. But Christianity says your identity doesn't come from inside or outside. It comes from above. It's inherent and it's given by God. You are made in His image. And so, your true self, who you are, Kierkegaard would say, is the self that you are before God. And see, there is nothing, and there is no one more stable than the one who can say, I am who I am. There is nothing, there's nothing, no one more stable than the one who can say, I am who I am. God is saying everything depends on him. He has always been, he will always be. And that's security, that's stability. And so when our identity rests on God, his being, we have security, and we have stability. And now you might be rightly thinking, well, I can see this, the stability thing. But isn't this just another restrictive, moralistic identity, one in which you've, you've swapped out traditional culture and you've just replaced it with religion, right? Moralism. But hear me out. I'm not calling you to religion. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was claiming to be God, the I am who spoke to Moses that day, come to earth in human form. Why? Because we like Moses, we were unwilling to be who God had called us to be. We are enslaved to a different sort of pharaoh, pharaoh to our distorted selves, right? We we build our sense of self, we build our sense of worth on ourselves and others and people instead of God. And to what end? We consume ourselves, we're exhausted, we burnt out. We burn out and without God, the result we deserve for this is a result that's due and it's death. And God knew the mess we were in. And Jesus saw all this and he said, in love, to your inability I am able and to your unwillingness I am willing. To go, And so Jesus came and he took for us the death that we deserve so that when we believe in him because of him, he becomes our adequate substitute. And so I want you to see that this is different than every other philosophy and religion of the world out there. Religion says, if you're good enough, you can become one of us. But if you mess up, you're out. But the startling uniqueness of Christianity is this. It's that your identity is not achieved. It is received. And so this is what I want you to take away, is that you are known by God. And like Moses, he knows you by name, and he's calling you to himself. And he wants to give you a new identity, one that is not based on who you are, but one that is based on who he is, that is permanent, that is stable, that is life-giving, that is always accepting, that loves you when you fail. And so See, I'm not calling you to religion. I'm calling you to be set ablaze. And this this is the great biblical image here, is it not? The the burning bush. See, the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. And I want you to see this is an image for what God wants to do with us, that he doesn't want to consume us by burdening us with moralism, rather, when the true God, the I am, steps into our creation... He sets us alight with the glory of God and he does not consume us. And this is what it means to be an exponential Christian. This is the series that we are in. Someone who is set ablaze by God. Someone who overflows with his goodness, is filled with his passion and wants to speak it to the world. And it starts by knowing your identity is in him. That an identity with a sense of self that is secure And an identity with a sense of self-worth that is significant. And so we've looked at Moses, how he was called by God, and he was given this new identity. And then in his new identity, he was sent back to his people as a servant on a mission. And so, like Moses, we too were called by God. And like Moses, we too were given a new identity. But do you remember what that new identity is that we were called into? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a reminder of the new identity that we have in Christ. It's like an inauguration sort of ceremony. The word baptism meant, it was... uh, the word that they used for when a boat sank, it meant the boat was fully immersed. And so to be baptized is to be fully immersed, to be fully saturated in God. So baptism is this physical expression of a spiritual reality, that we are immersed in a new name, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And we're given this new identity so that we can carry out the calling that God has for us. This is why it's the first thing that is done in disciple. Making is that God wants us to know who we are in Him, so that we can He can work through us. Well, why? Because what God has done in us, He wants to do through us. Because what God has done in us, He wants to do through us. So, what has the Father? What has the Son? What has the Holy Spirit done? What has He done that He wants to do? Through us. And these are going to be our applications. I had originally intentioned to take this into a time where we talk about the different rhythms in our lives, but we're going to actually bring most of the application into the next three weeks of this sermon. But I want to look how our new identity in Christ, we can apply that right to being uh, in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And so, first of all, we're baptized in the name of the Father. And that means we are family, right? We are part of the father's family. So we welcome and love others as he has welcomed and loved us. We welcome and love others as he has welcomed and loved us. Well, what has God done? We saw that the father, right? He substituted the son. This is how much he loved us. This is how much he welcomed us. And he did this so that we could enter into the family of God, that we could become sons, that we could become daughters of God. And what God done, has done to us, he now wants to do through us, right? So what does that mean? That means that we welcome and we love others as he has welcomed and loved us. And this includes, I want to say, the person that you can't stand. The person you can't stand. You know who they are if you think about it. And preparing this, I tried to think some myself, and think of some sort of profound example, and they're all quite, quite ordinary. Um, and so I couldn't, you see, I couldn't think of the story of a person who was like the arch nemesis in my life and then later became my sort of best friend. But I could think of plenty of ordinary people in my life that God had warmed my heart to and enabled me to love them and to welcome them into part of my life. But that's just it. God isn't calling us to be best friends with each other. He's calling us to be family. And that's different. See, it doesn't mean that we have all the same interests and ideas. It means something far deeper than this, that we have the same identity, that we have the same father, right? And so to the person that you can't stand, to the person that is different than you, you are to welcome them and love them as God has welcomed them and loved you. And so this is living out of our new identity. This is living out of being part of the Father's family. A very simple example. A second would be, we were baptized in the name of the Son. And so, we are servants of the Son, and we serve the least as he served us. The whole life of Jesus, if you think about it, was characterized by servanthood, Jesus taught us he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And you know what greatness is Jesus taught? You want to be top dog, you want to be at the very top, become like a child. Become like a child in humility, in dependence on him. And so this becomes then the upside down kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't just declare this. He actually demonstrates it by serving the world even to the point of death. And so, what God has done to us, he now wants to do through us. And what does that mean? We serve the least as he has served us. Now, here's another very simple everyday example. Yesterday, um, we did a day together with our alpha group. And alpha is a time where you come together, people you don't know, and you watch videos and you serve food. And what makes uh, the key component, you could say, of a good alpha is having good food. And if, <laughs> if you haven't yet experienced the cooking of Sandra and Krissa and our friend Phil, I'd invite you over to 3788 Jiroir to come check it out. <laughs> but um, anyway, as, as one of the guests uh, was leaving yesterday, he came up to me and he said, oh, you know, I just, I just realized, you know, I feel bad. I always come empty-handed and I just eat your food. I was like, no, no, like, Marshall, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're just so happy to have you here. It's an honor. And I was like, oh. At Marshall, actually, this is the Christian message, that when I had nothing to bring to the table, Jesus still fed me. And church, we want our service to be a tangible, physical reality of the spiritual truth, that when I was hungry, and when I had nothing to bring to the table, that Jesus still fed my hungry soul. And so Why? Why? Because this is our act. Why do we serve? This is our act of worship. This is laying our lives down for others as he lay his life down for me. And we ask nothing, right? Freely we have been given, and so freely we give. And so we serve the least as he has served us. And finally, we are missionaries. We are baptized in the name of the Spirit. And so we always proclaim the good news of Jesus. We saw today how Moses, he struggled with proclaiming. When his identity was based on his ability, his eloquence, he just couldn't pull through. But for each of these applications, that we are family, that we are servants, that we are missionaries, I wanna remind us that this isn't meant to be another to-do list. That's not what you need. What you need to know is who you are in Christ, that you are family, that you are servants, that you are missionaries. And unlike other identities, what you do doesn't determine who you are, but who you are will flow into what you do. And so this is what God has done. The Father and the Son, he has sent the Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to equip us for mission. And so what God has done for us, he now wants to do through us. Uh, up until a few years ago, I was working in Northern Quebec and uh, this was uh, a work camp situation, a very normal working environment for someone working in the trade that I was working in, in mining, uh, mining engineering. And we would go and we'd be there for a couple weeks at a time. And we would work every day during the two or three weeks we were there. And we would work 12 or more hours per day. And you can, you can think, how in this environment... Do I have these types of, how am I a missionary? How do I, I don't want to like force these types of conversations, but what does it look like to be intentional in my everyday life? And I want to say the answer to that is to just, to be honest about what God is doing in your life. And as you are, the questions will come. Um, And so while I was part of that time that this was also a question I wondered, and we would, we would practically live together. We would eat breakfast together, lunch together, and supper together. And I thought, oh, with all the time we have together, these conversations will be so, we'll get to know each other so well. The conversation will be so stimulating. And to be honest, people were just looking forward to the time they could go home. They just wanted to get out of there, and they wanted to pass the time, as quickly as possible, and so it was. It was difficult, and it felt dull. But one of the things that happened while I was there, I was invited to join a Bible study in the First Nations community that had joined the mind site. And while I was there, I loved being able to go there, and we would study Jesus together. And then I come back, and then my coworkers at some point they took notice, and they're like, "Jordan, what are you doing, like, in the First Nations community in the evening?" I'm like well, we're, we're Christians. And they're like, what do you mean? What, we're, we're, I mean, we're family. We're family. You're family? Well, yeah, because we all have the same father. We all serve the same father. And they're like, what, 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 what is that? What do, you, what do you talk about there? What is it that you have in common, right? I said, like, well, it's Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so we start talking about Jesus in our lunch hours. So when I would go away, the next day I'd come back and lunchtime would be, what did you talk about last night in Bible study in the First Nations community? And believe it or not, they weren't bored. They were interested. They wanted to know. Sometimes we get this sense of like, oh, people won't be interested. They don't want to hear about this. But the reality is if people say, um, you know, just, just be who you are, right? Don't, don't try and force things. Just, just be who you are and naturally things will flow out of you. Well, the reality is when your identity is in Christ, when you are a Christian, being who you are is letting him work through you. And so it's letting him flow out of you, letting him be the beauty and the joy and the treasure of your life. And so that will naturally come out of you. And those conversations naturally happen. And what ended up happening is my coworkers said, this is really interesting. I wanna meet this family that you're part of. I wanna hear about this Jesus you're part of. And they started attending the Bible studies in the First Nations community. And so we are called to be witnesses. We are called to be missionaries, to go and make disciples everywhere. And he's your equipper with the Holy Spirit. He's your primary disciple. If, if you're struggling, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with boldness, right? And he will. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And this is, this, this, friends, this is a far better offer than what is available around you. Think about the identities that we have looked at, right? The burdensomeness of it, the rat race of it, the, the restrictiveness of it. The looking inside, the looking outside, not finding it, not finding your identity. And yet, significance and stability can be found in Jesus, the great I am. And so, I want to call us to live out our identities in Christ. To find your stability and significance in him. And to be set ablaze in him so you can shine for his glory. And so, I'm going to pray and then I'll, uh, the van, can come up to respond. Father, I pray that this would be a reality um, in our lives. That you would, we would be compelled by the beauty of who you are. That unlike ourselves and unlike others, you do not consume us, but you set us ablaze for your glory, to make us exponential in your upside down kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that we would see ourselves as family that we are, that we'd see ourselves as the servants that we are, and that we see ourselves as the missionaries that we are in every day and hour of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name.